Brethren, at this time, we're blessed to have our first message by Mr. Curtis Whiteley, entitled, Our Pilgrimage to Faith. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here on this 50th day, as we have counted, and as Matt has, I believe, Matt, you provided these a few weeks ago in a message you gave. Uh, am I correct on that? Matt still? The one who did that? Okay, I thought I was correct, but provide these nice calendars, and we have come to the 50th day, Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost, Feast of Weeks, uh, whatever term you prefer to use, is it's a special day. It's a day that didn't start today, as the calendar shows. We started back during the Passover festival when we were looking into the Days of Unleavened Bread, and we were beginning that count on that morrow after the Sabbath and how we reckon it, the morrow after the weekly Sabbath. And so we know that it's been a journey to get to this 50th day. You know, we need to just start today and say, well, today is, you know, obviously a certain date and we need to go to church because it's one of God's holy days, but it has been a count. We've been counting down the days. But for me, it's just a little extra special. It was 10 years ago today, if we reckon it by Pentecost, that I was baptized here at this church. I remember it... Uh, Pretty well. I remember it was Wayne Turnbull who gave the sermon, which was Landon Cap, which is Landon Cap's uh, grandfather who lives in Arkansas, and he was baptized with me on that day. And my pilgrimage, and as you can see, the title of my message is "Our Pilgrimage to Faith." My pilgrimage began ten years ago, probably three or four months before I was baptized. And I just kind of want to go through that, just kind of give you maybe a little personal testimony about, you know, what it was that kind of brought me to faith in Christ, brought me to a biblical faith. I was in my freshman year of college, and I was taking a composition class, it's an English class, and it was the springtime of 2004. Now, let me give you a little context of what was going on during that period of time, 10 years ago. The movie, Mel Gibson's blockbuster Passion of the Christ had just been released in theaters somewhere around February of that year or something like that. And I was in class one day, and the teacher asked the question, was the movie, The Passion of the Christ, as put out by Mel Gibson, was it an accurate and faithful portrayal of the gospel accounts that are in the New Testament? And so this question kind of hit me upside the head. Because I was extremely ill-equipped to even, you know, partake in any of the discussion whatsoever. And that was because my knowledge just wasn't there. In fact, you know, I was trying to think about this yesterday as I was coming up with this message. You know, had I seen the movie yet when this discussion got started or had I not? And I don't think I had because I remember this discussion in this class. And it was literally, I mean, if you were to be able to go back in time and see me, I mean, my head was just on a swivel. Every time someone said something, I had another question because I didn't know what they were talking about. I mean, literally, I was like looking this way. Who's Judas? I was looking this way. Semitism or anti-Semitism. What's Semitism? This way, I was like, who would name themselves Pontius Pilate? And I just kept thinking, what is going on? I don't know anything that these people are talking about. And, of course, 
I'm not new here, obviously. I've been here since I was born. I was raised in church. I went to church every week. And finally, at the end of this discussion, someone said Passover, and I was like, yes, I know that one. <laughs> so, I was literally like thinking, man, how am I going to you know, participate in this discussion, which is going to you know, go on into the next class. So, of course, at some point in time, I saw the movie. And eventually, I started to read the Gospels. And I was just, you know, it was an intellectual pursuit. It wasn't necessarily, hey, I've, you know, had this, you know, I've been cut to the heart. I've been, you know, uh, you know I've been convicted to, to be led to, you know, maybe search out God more. But it was through this intellectual question that was kind of posed by this teacher that I had that led me eventually to fall in love with the scriptures, fall in love with this character uh, that I was trying to, you know, learn about, Jesus, as we know him. And... It was the Passover that year, and I remember it. You know, we, we, always, we have our own tradition here. We go through the Passover, and we look at all of these different scriptures, you know, that, you know, in Jesus' uh, uh, that, that last night that he was with his disciples. And I just kind of remember, I finally just, you know, I followed along, and then everything started to kind of click. And all of a sudden, I just got this, like, real heavy interest, just this, like, hunger for biblical knowledge. Uh, and, and, and I remember it was, you know, Passover, and then it just got deeper and deeper and deeper until finally I was baptized on Pentecost 10 years ago. Which is an interesting thing because I want to come back to that at the end of the message. Because where I want to take us today is a very familiar passage. It's in Acts, the second chapter. We're going to look at the first Pentecost after that crucifixion, after that resurrection. You know, right there, we know the book of Acts. We know that. You know, what takes place in the beginning of the book of Acts is that Jesus is there. He's talking to the disciples. He says, you know, don't leave here. You're in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere else. Wait till the promise of the Father. And then you're going to take the gospel message to pretty much the ends of the earth. And then in Acts, the second chapter, if you were to open it up, just to give you some background, what happens is, we've heard it before, we know what takes place on this Pentecost day or this Feast of Weeks. We know that there was this rushing sound of wind, and all of a sudden these disciples of Jesus that were in this room started to talk with each other in this magnificent, phenomenal power. And sometimes we refer to they start speaking in tongues. But we're going to pick it up in Acts 2, verse 5, because I want to look at the response of the people who were there and the background of the people who were there. In Acts, the second chapter, verse 5 through 13 is what we're going to read. It says, And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Bephyrga and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining, adjoining Serene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? The last verse that we're looking at, it says, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Now we want to understand the context here. Obviously it's the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, these, these people who were here, it says that Jews who were dwelling in Jerusalem, and Josephus, one of the early first century historians, that, you know, the earliest that we have, 
actually records and testifies that during these pilgrimage feasts, and this is what one of them was, the pilgrimage feast being the three feasts where, you know, they were supposed to appear before the Lord there in Jerusalem, this city could swell up to almost three million people in population. So just people that were coming there, pilgrimaging there, to come and keep the feast, one of the feasts, you know, the Passover. And a lot of times they would be staying there because, you know, Passover to Pentecost is so close together, so people who had pilgrims for Passover would just stay and hang out instead of going back home and then trying to come back 50 days later. And so since we're in the New Testament times, the first century, and the Jewish diaspora has already taken place, we already know the history, what happened took place. We see that in the Old Testament. The Israelites and those of Judah had been exiled to Babylon, and then uh, even before that, some of the Jews had left uh, the area that we call Judah and went throughout all the different parts of what we know now as the Roman world, and they were scattered abroad. Some of them returned back home from Babylon, but some of them did not. And so we had all these different people that were spread out throughout the Roman world that would journey back to keep one of these pilgrimage feasts. And so you had native Judeans there, people who lived in Judea. You had some people who were just there, as I mentioned, pilgrimage there from the, uh, from the different parts of the Roman Empire that they had lived in. Some of them had maybe moved there. There's actually evidence that some Jews actually would move back close to the Jerusalem area later in their life to end their day somewhere close to the temple. And some of them, as the record shows, some of them were actually Gentile proselytes. Those were Gentile converts to, uh, you know, that have accepted and adopted uh, and, and been accepted into the nation of Israel. And so it says that these disciples in this upper room, these who were causing these commotions were Galileans. They were native Galilean people for the most part. That's that area that's just north of Judea, north of this Jerusalem region that we're talking about. Typically, these were rural people. You know, they, they, they were people who spoke with a distinct accent. You know, Mark, the 14th chapter, we, we see that Peter, you know, it talks about how he was, you know, trying to kind of, you know, hide himself, but he was from afar off looking at Jesus' uh, 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 trial, and it says that he was caught, and someone said, hey, you're one of them, your speech betrays you, your speech shows this. It's because he had an accent that was kind of distinct, and they understood that he was not from that area, but rather he was a Galilean, and he was numbered among one of the followers of this person that was on trial, Jesus. And so sometimes it was kind of common for some people to look at these people as like less sophisticated. You know, they're not as educated. They're, you know, maybe in our modern terms, they're kind of like hillbillies. You know, they're not, you know, we, we say that in our own nation. We, you know, we have different regions and sometimes different parts have, you know, different stereotypes that we look at as maybe being less sophisticated. Uh, than others, maybe especially compared to some of those, you know, Yankee Northerners up there in our northeastern region of the United States. But this is one of the reasons they were so amazed, because you had these people who typically were considered very sophisticated, very uneducated, and they were speaking to all of these people that had come from all different areas, and they could hear them in their native tongue. And so this was amazing. These people aren't bilingual. They're not, you know, educated, sophisticated enough to know the different languages of this vast empire, you know, the different languages of the empire, because some of these people that were from different regions, they may have been, might have been from a particular city that had a, its own distinct, you know, language in and of itself. And here you have some Galileans that were speaking their language. So what was going on? The other group of people, which is that last verse, the mockers accused them of being drunk, full of new wine. And this Greek word is just 
kind of a word that describes something known as like sweet wine. In this time and age, it was a, a wine that typically was higher in alcoholic content. And so an illustration we can think of is we can think of what is people like when they're drunk. We, you know, we have ideas that we think about when people are, you know, engaged in drunkenness, you know, from maybe personal experience ourselves. You know, we all have a past, uh, maybe as an observer. But typically, we usually think of someone that's drunk when we think of someone that has lost the full control of their body and their mind to various degrees, various degrees of drunkenness. And typically, you know, sometimes we hear the word under the influence. You know, we're not in full cognitive, you know, our cognitive faculties are not in full-fledged force. We're, you know, kind of been hindered, you know, in the way our thinking is. Sometimes we think of people of being out of their mind. You know, it's the alcohol you're hearing. It's not the person. Behaviors often associated with drunkenness include things like foolishness. You know, maybe if we've experienced, you know, a person that's drunk, uh, we can see that sometimes it causes people to be foolish, silly, obnoxious, dangerous. And the last one, crazy or insane. You know, a person's cognitive faculties, as mentioned, have been, and sometimes when you consume a large amount of alcohol, are severely inhibited. Sometimes this leads to a person speaking a new language that we call typically gibberish. Okay? And so the context here in the accusation of these onlookers that, you know, these people are drunk. What's going on here? There's nothing going on. They're just, you know, they've been drinking that new wine, you know, at 9 o'clock in the morning. The context shows that what basically the sentiment that was being given about these Galileans here in this region of Jerusalem that was, you know, where these people were observing the day of Pentecost was that they were out of their mind. They were crazy. Which brings me to, or back, to my own personal experience. And maybe it's going to resonate with you. Because that's what I'm going to ask you to do, is to just reflect upon that pilgrimage that you made to faith. Sometimes our zeal and the fire that we had when we were first you know, introduced to you know, the God of the universe, sometimes we were looked at like we were drunk. We were crazy. You know, I remember that early zeal that I had, that everywhere I went, it seemed like I tried to start a biblical conversation. I mean, some of you might be familiar with that. Maybe you were in the same boat. I mean, I remember being at a friend's house, and of course, I busted out one of the old famous booklets. We all know what booklets are in this faith. You know, we've grown up with booklets. Don't worry, you know, I didn't bust out any of the white tapes or anything like that, you know. We, if you've been around this tradition or, the, or in, our, you know, in our history long enough, you understand what I mean by the white tapes. But it's interesting because it got me thinking about my walk, my journey, my pilgrimage to faith. And it started making me realize that, you know what, I was very much like, I understand those Galileans and some of the accusations that were thrown at them. That zeal that sometimes we had at the very beginning, and sometimes people just thought we were drunk. I mean, metaphorically, maybe not literally drunk, but they thought we were crazy. We were out of our mind. You know, that fire that we had for God. And I also think that this is something that we always, that all of us, we all have a similar path in that we, uh, the treasure that God has given us doesn't seem like treasure to this world. And that's what it is. God has given us a treasure. And this is 
kind of where I wanted to sum it up here. You know, this day marks a day in our Christian heritage where some people accepted this and saw it and saw the amazing work of God. But some people thought it was foolishness and craziness. I want to go to Matthew, the 13th chapter, my last scripture. And just thinking about our pilgrimage to faith involving us, you know, giving up everything that we had in order to accept this precious treasure that God has to offer. Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know, this is, even though we all have different walks and how we pilgrimage to God and to faith in God, all of us, all of us have in common that, that treasure that we found and that we did everything we could. We gave up everything we needed to in order to partake and to possess that treasure. You know, as was mentioned right before uh, the singing today, we talked about Hebrews and talked about that mountain of God. You know, there's a famous tradition that it was on the day of Pentecost where the covenant was given to the ancient Israelites. And I started thinking about that, you know, because our walk, and our pilgrimage to God is kind of like we metaphorically came to God's mountain to, to hear what he had to say, to hear and tell us what he wants us to do. I was also thinking about how in Jerusalem, how it's typically considered like the Temple Mount, and how people would come to Jerusalem, and they would come up to this, what is known as the mountain of God, to pilgrimage there, to worship God, and all of us today, we know that even though we have come and we've accepted the God of this universe, we understand, we believe his words, and we believe that he's a covenant-keeping God. We all know that we're now also on a lifelong pilgrimage. We're on a lifelong pilgrimage towards God's kingdom. You know, we're not going to go there, but you can just read it on your own. I was reminded of how Isaiah, the second chapter, talks about someday in the future. When this kingdom of God is established on this earth. Not just, you know, different little small groups of people are going to go up and hear about God's law coming from Mount Zion. But this entire world is going to be aware of it. There's going to be a day in the future where this entire world is going to have the opportunity to pilgrimage to Mount Zion. That mountain of God that's talked about in the scriptures that hasn't been fulfilled yet. On this Pentecost day, as we reflect on our pilgrimage to faith, as we reflect on all the different implications, all the different you know, personal struggles that we had to make to that pilgrimage, to that personal faith that we have in our God and our Christ and our Savior, we have to remember that someday and right now, presently, that pilgrimage that we're making, someday this entire earth is going to participate in that. That pilgrimage to the Mount of God and God's soon coming kingdom.